We are happy to welcome you to the preaching service of the Scotts Fork Christian Church. I'm Otis Clark, the minister, and uh, we just hope that all will receive a blessing as we share this sermon on this Lord's Day. Today, we're going to be talking about a message, Where Are You? And we'll be reading from Genesis, the third chapter, verses 1 through 9, and uh, talking about the question, Where Are You? Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? Very, very interesting. Certainly, we know that the all-seeing eyes of our Father the all-knowing, and on and on we could go. He knew where Adam was. And as we begin this message and share this message, I want all of us to seek to realize that our Heavenly Father, our Creator, our Redeemer, our hope, He knows where every one of us are. And so we ask the question, where are you? It is obvious that God is all-knowing and all-seeing. And so the challenge is for us to discover where we are today. Uh, The Bible is filled with questions. And I firmly believe that so much good can come to every one of our lives when we ask such questions. Where are we in life? What is it that we want out of life? Have we truly understood what should be the number one thing that we want out of life and so on? Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. And so when we look at this teaching in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, it is designed to stir within each of us a desire desire to respond to Jesus We often think that we can put off responding to Jesus. Through my ministry, I have talked with people. I love them, but as we would conclude talking uh, and teaching from the Lord's book, some would say, someday, Brother Otis, I'll give this more thought and consider becoming a child of God. Sometime, they will say, I'm just not ready yet. And almost you want to ask that person, What is it going to take for you to get ready? So the point of us will respond to this lesson 
one way or the other, we will make a response and the choice is ours. And we need to ask ourselves very frequently because there are so many questions we are being bombarded with moment by moment. And so uh, we need to ask ourselves, what is the most important thing we need to do with our lives? It is not financial security, it's not getting an education, it's not a job. The most important thing we need to do is to decide where we want to spend, excuse me, eternity. Possibly the most difficult thing for most of us to do, excuse me, is to repent. I read one time, excuse me, please, one time, uh, and too often our attitude is like this particular account that I read about, and it was about two shipwrecked sailors, sailors, and the, the two shipwrecked sailors had been adrift on a raft for several days, and they were de- de- desperate, and one of them got down on his knees and began to pray, and he said, oh, Lord, I know I haven't lived a good life. I've drunk too much booze, I've lied, I've cheated, I've done so many things that I'm ashamed of, but Lord, if you'll just save me, I promise, and the other shipmate hollered out to him, hold it, hold it, don't say another word, I think I just spotted land. You know, too many of us are like that sailor. We say, wait, we say, hold it, I'm not ready to ask for the forgiveness of my sins, and I'm not ready to accept God's beloved son and be prepared for eternal life. So I want to challenge you this morning. I'm going to talk about, and we can use the word chairs, and and as we share this message, every one of us is sitting in one of these four chairs. And uh, let's give look at them, and I believe it'll give us a good indication as to where we are in life. The first chair that I want us to talk about, and that is the safe chair. Let me explain what this chair means. If you were to bring a a baby from the nursery, if you were to bring a child from children's church or wherever he or she might be, in all probability, I would say to you, needless to say, these children are safe. And so what we get into, it brings us to this point, is a lot of people believe that a baby should be baptized by sprinkling when he or she is born. And I firmly believe that we need to understand that the scriptures does not teach that. Babies, children, and maybe some who go along in life and they share in different different handicaps, uh, they could all make a difference. But if each one of these angel, uh, individuals uh, were to die tragically, they would be assured of a home in heaven with Jesus Christ. And some might say, hold it, preacher. I thought that everyone was born a sinner. That's what the Bible teaches, doesn't it? Babies are born into this world, but babies are not sinners. We would use the terminology, and seems to be most congruous with the scriptures, that they are brought into this world of a depraved nature. And so we need to understand that uh, babies, as such, needless to say, are not sinners. But what's so important here is what does the Bible say about this? In John 3, 4, 1 John 3 and 4, it says, sin is a transgression of the law. I ask the question, 
How could an infant transgress the law? Matthew 18, 13, Jesus said, unless you are converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why become as little children if children are born sinners? Luke 18, 6, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Let me ask you a question. Some people say, well, don't we inherit the sins of our fathers? Isn't it passed down from generation to generation? Well, just think about the implications of that. If we inherit our sins, then we've got a big problem. If sin is passed down from one generation to another to another generation, then it had to start somewhere. If it started with Adam, if he inherited his sin, then that would make God sinful. But the Bible tells us that God is holy and without sin. In Ezekiel 18.20 it says, The soul who sins is the one who will die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. If I was baptized an infant in all respect and in all love, it served no purpose because I have no sin when I am a baby. The Bible tells us that baptism is for the remission of sins. We know that in Acts 2.38, when Peter was preaching the first gospel sermon, uh, the good news that Jesus died, uh, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And we're told when we're baptized that our sins are washed away, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we are added to the body of Christ. You see, friends, it doesn't make any difference what any of us think about this. What is important is what does the Bible say. And we need to position ourselves and seek to understand so we can know who we are and know why we do what we do. For one to be baptized and studying the Holy Bible, he or she would need to believe in, Je- in Jesus. Infants, infants are not capable of believing in Jesus. When you read the book of Acts, that, was the, that is the fifth chapter of the Bible, we know that this is a record as the disciples went into all the world, teaching and baptizing and teaching again and telling them what to do to be saved. Every conversion mentioned in the book of Acts, those who were baptized were adults. We also know that Jesus said that we must repent. Infants cannot repent. They have no sins. So if you fall into this category, then you are safe. When the time comes, you can take a seat in the chair because you're safe. Then there's a second chair that I want to talk about, and that is the saved chair. Friends, I can't begin to tell you how important it is. As I am sharing this podcast, I cannot believe that I am the age I am. I cannot believe how swiftly time has gone by. And I continue to preach and continue to share the Word of God because I believe it is totally true and it is what is so desperately needed in our world today. You see, if you have rendered obedience to the gospel of Christ and are a Christian, then you are able to sit in this chair. What does the Bible say about obedience to the will of God? 
My friends, I can't emphasize this enough. You've heard me say it before. We know that Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter of the Bible. And in reading that, we know that faith equals obedience. Obedience equals faith. Is as a linking verb connecting two things of equal value. That if we've got faith, then we're going to be obedient. If we're obedient, then we're going to have faith. So what does the Bible say about uh, obedience to the will of God? It is so important. How do we know if we are a Christian? Let me share with you the simple passages, passages that you need to obey in order to become a child of God. Now, a lot of times people will quote this phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal verse of scripture, and that is, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Phenomenal verse of scripture. But some will say that this verse contains everything that one must do in order to become a Christian. Can you look at this with me again? John 3.16 contains the whole plan of salvation, we ask. If yes, then what about repentance? It's not mentioned. If no, then how do you exclude baptism? You see, in 11.6, there's a great chapter, chapter on faith and this great comment where we read uh, what Paul has to say. And it's such a beautiful thing. And that is that faith, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Friends, for instance, you can walk over to a light switch and flip on the switch, and I don't know that that we can explain in totality electricity. We have to accept many things by faith, and we have every reason to believe in totally in God the Father, Jesus the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And in Luke 13, 3, it says, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. What we have to understand, brothers and sisters, that understanding the conditions of salvation, we have to open the Bible, we have to read every verse as it relates to the steps of obedience, the steps of salvation. And so when we do, that we can turn to the book of Acts and see that as they went and as they taught and as they brought people to Christ, that every one of these steps was obeyed. Remember, repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. It's a change of mind that results in a change of action. We need to understand that because it is so, so important. There was a story told about a certain man who loved to to go to revivals and gospel meetings, and he would respond to the invitation every single time and would admit his past sinful life. He had done it all. He said, I've lied, I've cheated, I've stolen, I've pushed drugs, I've spent time in jail, I broke all the Ten Commandments, and then some. It was the custom at the end of his long recital of wrongdoings to smile and say, I thank God that through all those wicked years, I never lost my religion. Friends, it's important to understand that repentance will lead us to a confession of Jesus. Mark 16, 16, believe and repent, repent and be baptized. Acts 2, 38, when the church was established, Jesus said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. In the Great Commission, as Jesus was speaking, go into the world, teach and baptize, and then teach again. Once we have done those things, 
We are saved by the grace and the mercy of God. And then we need to realize the tremendous challenge that we face, and that is to be faithful unto death. Many of us who are Christians should have a pretty good idea of whether or not we are faithful to Jesus. Those who are Christians realize we aren't perfect, but we know that we can and have been forgiven of our sins. Because of my obedience to God's will, I should be happy. I should be joyful and productive in the sight of God. I look forward to going to heaven because I know I'm not going to stay on the face of this earth forever. I look forward going to a place where there is no more pain, no more suffering, and no more heartache. If you are a Christian, then you are at appropriate time and you come and sit in the chair and that is where we refer to it as the saved chair. And then there's another chair, the lost chair. If you find yourself in one of these two chairs, you may find yourself in this one. What exactly does it mean to be lost? To be lost means to face God on the day of judgment without Jesus by our side. Paul talked to the church at Thessalonica, and he said to be lost means to be separated from God. I had a dear friend, uh, president at one time of Kentucky Christian University, and he was talking about hell, and he just said, let's just suppose that it is not continuously a literal lake of fire. He wasn't saying that wasn't the case, but he said, just suppose. He said, just to be separated from your loved ones. And to be eternally lost would certainly be most, most tragic, most, most tragic. And so to be lost means to be rejected by God at the day of judgment. There will be a day when every man, when we all will give an account of our lives. And to be lost means to be with the devil for eternity. Why are people lost? It's hard for me to ask that question and think that there are people, if they know anything about the love of Christ, if they believe the Bible at all, they know that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. It's not because of inherited sin. It's not because God doesn't love them. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Friends, God will not send anyone to hell. If I go to hell, it will be because I chose to go there myself. It won't be God's fault. It will be all my own. Hell is for the devil and his angels. According to the word of God, we need to understand as we study life, we ask ourselves so many questions and should to help us to understand life is that there are only two destinies for man. And one, of course, where Jesus said, I have gone to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Friends, that is a tremendous hope to every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. And then certainly we know that if there's a Bible teaches that there's a heaven, it equally shares that there is a place for the disobedient, for those who willfully reject the word of God and not will give will not give attention, attention to the promises of God. Contrary to what some might think, there are no second chances. 
There is no way to work your way to heaven. You cannot pay for your sins and get another shot at heaven. Only eternal, our, our eternal destiny is sealed on this side of heaven. Heard about a father, had two sons, and it's so touching. One had been a faithful Christian. The other one had never become a Christian. The father was dying, and he called his sons to his bedside. And to the faithful Christian son, he said, Take care of your mother. Be a good man. Good night, my son. Good night. To the son who was not a Christian, he said, I love you. Take care of your mother. Be a good son. Goodbye, my son. Goodbye. And immediately this son recognized the different words his father had said. Why did you say good night to him and goodbye to me? And the father said, when the sun rises on that great resurrection morning, I know that he and I will be together in heaven. That's why I said good night. But you have not obeyed the Lord. When Jesus comes again, I'll have to say goodbye to you because I will never see you again. What will it be for you and me? What about our loved ones? Do we really believe what God said? That we are to be obedient, we're to be faithful for our sins, we need to ask for forgiveness because certainly sin is not the way to, uh, to live your life. And so when they take their final breath, will they say good night or goodbye? And then the fourth chair that I want to refer to is the wayward chair. I am not here, I am not, if I am not saved, if I have not been saved or lost, then I am wayward. How would we describe the one who is a wayward person? The wayward individual is a Christian who has left the Lord. We often say they are delinquent or they are out of service with the Lord. You can put any kind of terminology you want on it, but the fact is it is someone who has turned away from God. So many have. And I want you to notice what it says in Hebrews, the sixth chapter. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. And then all all sincerity, probably many of you have read the words in 2 Peter 2.20. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in him and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having to known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered from them. You see, friends, we are living in such and such a uh, uh, heavy time concerning the love of God, concerning his church, concerning how we ought to be living. It's unreal the extent to which people will go to write and comment about the Bible to make it seat their lifestyle. Understand that this is not something concerning a person who turns their back on God. It's something that happens overnight. Oftentimes it is a gradual process that takes place over time. But we need to realize, friends, what we believe matters. And these things are in our hands. As a matter of fact, 
You can be here today. You can be listening to this podcast and be a wayward Christian. Friend, how I would encourage you to change your way. It's amazing how many Christians, how forsaken, are left their first love. If we had every wayward member of even Scott's Fork Christian Church here today, this building would be filled, and there are so many who don't come. But there is good news. If you fall into the bracket or sitting in the chair of a wayward Christian, you need to understand you're still God's child, and he's waiting for you just as the father waited for the prodigal son. And so there is still hope, and he has his arms wide open, inviting you to come back to him. As long as I'm alive, there's still hope for me. Am I a wayward Christian? If so, then come. Come back to Christ. Yes, there are the chairs, and every one of us is sitting in one of these four chairs. We're sitting in the chair that is for those who are safe, the little children and people in that bracket. Or we're sitting in the chair of the saved. Or we're sitting in the chair of the lost. Or we're sitting in the chair of the wayward. My friends, I want to challenge you that if you've never given your life to Christ and you ask, and the question is asked, was asked in the book of Genesis, where are you? And God knew where he was and God knows where you are. That friends, that you would see some most intelligent, the most phenomenal decision we can ever make, but it's getting buried in the sand, it's getting buried in the dirt. No longer it seems does people ask the question, what is it that I must do? to become a child of the king. What is it that I must do so that I can become saved and have the hope of eternity, have the hope of living again? Friend, I beg of you as I'm talking to you and you who are listening to this broadcast that you will consider seriously giving your life to Christ if you have it. Obey the gospel, the good news that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Give your life to him. And if I can help you in any way, just call us at the Scotts Fork Christian Church, 859-792-6829, and we'll get back to you. Thank you, and let's pray. Father, bless us and help us to realize how important it is that we ask ourselves, as God asked Adam, where are you? Where are you in life? in your relationship to your creator, to your sustainer, to your redeemer, to your hope. I hope and pray that you are his child. Bless this broadcast to your glory. In his name we pray. Amen.